0: You're listening to The Exhibitionist Podcast, hosted by Nicola Reader and brought to you by InspiringExhibitors.com and ProExtra, a wholly owned subsidiary of 12 Man Solutions Limited.
1: Hi there and welcome to episode 37 of The Exhibitionist Podcast. I'm your host Nicola Reader and as always thank you so much for joining us. I just want to say a special welcome to any of our listeners joining us from The Theatre Art Life website where we've just been added um, as a podcast. It's a website that offers a huge amount of training and learning across the globe on a whole host of subjects. So thank you to Theatre Art Life for picking us up and adding us to your selection. So today, very shortly, we will be handing over to um, another returning guest in Adam Parry, who is the editor of Event Industry News, who's going to be talking to us about virtual events. So we'll hand over to that very shortly, but how are you doing, guys? Week three of lockdown, and how's it feeling for you? How are you getting on? Are you managing to do any work? Are the kids driving you crazy? Are you keeping well? Just wondering how everybody else is getting on out there. It is a really tough time, and um, there's so many people out there giving advice about what you should be doing to structure your day and how you should be spending your time to learn a new skill or do something amazing. Um, But not every day works out like that. And I know certainly for us in our office, we sometimes have some days when we're super productive and get loads done. And we have days where it just kind of feels a little bit too much and we need to chill and just watch a movie. So I definitely don't want to be the person who says, this is how you should spend your time over the next few weeks because I think the motto for me is spend your time however it feels best for you to spend it. But one of the things I have been doing that's really helped is reconnecting with another previous guest work, and that's Daniel Priestley. Um, for listeners of the show, you'll know that Daniel came on around about summertime last year, um, so check back on that episode um, if you want to hear what he had to say. But but Daniel has written a number of books and is a, an entrepreneur, um, and he works around the theory of being the key person of influence in your industry, and his book is entitled that. He also has oversubscribed And as we all start maybe to think about the reset and recovery phase, how we move out of lockdown, how we get businesses back going again. For me, I just thought, actually, there's something about being a key person of influence. And that's not somebody who everyone should listen to, but actually just someone who can help. And that's what we really want to do with our business is try and help as many of you as we possibly can. And that's why we've increased the frequency of our podcast, because we're talking to guests who feel like they've got something to say that can help the events industry at the moment. So we're going to put podcasts out a little bit more frequently than usual to get you that advice as quickly as we can. But also in Daniel's work, there's some really great advice around just helping refine your pitch so that you're really clear about the value that you add, about what your proposition is, about just writing some features, some articles, some blog posts that might be useful as people start to think about emerging from lockdown and setting their businesses up again. Um, and then partnerships that come your way from doing some of those things, from being seen as an influencer and, and somebody who adds value and helps in your industry, those partnerships kind of happen. And, and that's certainly occurred for us um, since we worked with Daniel last year. So really easy to read books, really short and simple. Um, I just thought it might be useful if you get a chance, have a look at some of Daniel's work. Um, and there might be two or three things in there that, have, that will help you get ready for this reset and recovery phrase that we're hearing we're going to go through And of course, another brilliant book if you did want something to pass your time during lockdown is The Exhibitionist over on our website. If your event's been cancelled or postponed and you're thinking, how on earth now do I spend my time wisely? How can I plan better for when the event actually happens? Why not pick up a copy of The Exhibitionist book and the accompanying project manager journal and work your way through that 10 minutes a day going through the journal and doing the reflective questions, completing the exercises. And by the end of lockdown, you'll have the blueprint for your business, your specific circumstances of how to run a brilliant event. So shameless plug for the exhibitionist there, but you can find all the details over on the website. So that's kind of it from me today. Short and sweet. I'm going to hand over to our conversation with Adam, who I have to say, I started this conversation being slightly sceptical and also very unknowledgeable about um, what virtual events were but felt so much more reassured at the end of it so hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. So on this week's edition of the Exhibitionist podcast we are delighted to ask back another really popular guest from 2019 and that's Adam Parry who is the editor of Event Industry News so welcome Adam.
0: Thank you for having me Nicola.
1: Brilliant and uh, thank you for coming back and we are going to get on to the topic of uh, virtual events and what that what that means what they are it's something that i'm not that close to so i'm really looking forward to this conversation but just tell us how things are going for you at the moment adam how it's feeling what you're up to
0: it's it's an interesting time at event industry news obviously um for the last couple of weeks we've been very much covering um how covid is impacting our sector as a whole um engaging with organizers suppliers and and in many cases associations and the government as well we were helping with a petition for for the industry to get raised in in the sector in parliament um which needed which needed drastic support um but you know what the more we talk to organizers and suppliers there's lots of positivity about around the the second half of the year and um, going into q3 and q4 and um, with many organizers very positive that they'll be able to you know bring back exhibitions bring back events bring back conferences and in the meantime, figuring out how they can, you know, support their their customers um, and audience in in the meantime. So you know, as as long as um, everybody stays at home and, and social distances, I think you know we, we're going to be in for a very very busy second half of the year going into going into 2021, which will obviously help you know people do more business across, across, not just in the events industry, but obviously the events industry supports lots of other sectors in terms of business as well. Um, So um, it's looking positive for the back end of the year, as long as, you know, the government and ourselves and everybody can get a grip on what's happening at the moment and get it out of the way as as soon as possible.
1: I think that's such an important point about that kind of positivity for the the back end of the year and, um, you know, exhibitions are going to be a great, platform really for people getting back together and actually seeing each other again when we've all been locked inside for however many months this is going to be. So um, equally looking forward and as positive as as you for that, that to happen. But the one thing I'm hearing loads about at the moment is virtual. So let's go virtual with our event. Let's put it online. And to me, it just seems like a bit of a minefield. So I think you're the man to help me find my way through that minefield. So just let's start at the real basics. What are virtual events?
0: Well, um, it, it's interesting because what what is an event, right? You know, it could be anything from. Uh, I think legally, it's like four people meeting up in a room is <laughs> is is classed as an event. Um, so it, 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 you know, virtual is is similar to events in the term of it, it covering many different things. Um, I think what many people think of as virtual events is a virtual event platform with content speakers other types of content going off, networking, etc. cetera. And, and that is true. But actually, a virtual event can be as much as, you know, just a group of people joining on a Zoom to discuss a particular topic. It could be a webinar. Arguably, a podcast like this, in essence, is a virtual event. It is two people talking about a particular subject matter, trying to engage an audience on that, on that subject and hopefully offer, deliver some value, some thought leadership, et cetera. Exhibition-wise, obviously there is very much a, a business element there. It's about doing business. It's about meeting your customers and prospects in a in a very short amount of time and, and doing and um, condensing a lot of work into into a very short period. Um, but yeah, there's you know a virtual event could be literally like I say, hanging out on, on on Facebook as a group. You know what we've got to remember is that as as consumers, I think the report last year by Hootsuite suggested that on average we as humans spend anywhere between six to eight hours online in various forms. Mm. A lot of that is on social media. Social media is essentially an ongoing continuous event. It's, a, it's an opportunity for you to speak to your audience and, and your network, again, about subject matter and deliver media, whether that be video, audio, images, etc. So, you know, the, the term virtual event is probably very overarching and very wide what it will mean for attendees is probably different to what it will mean from to exhibitors and, and organizers. so it really depends on what angle you're you're coming from
1: brilliant and i think that kind of clarifies for me it's that same as a face-to-face event where a group of people with some sort of common interest whatever that might be just gets together to talk about that to troubleshoot to problem solve to share their experiences um, and help each other so that that Absolutely. kind of makes a bit more sense in my head um so thinking about virtual exhibitions and online exhibitions, they haven't just happened because of COVID-19. I guess they're already happening. So what's your experience of virtual ex- exhibitions? What do you know about them? Have you been to any good ones?
0: Yeah, so um been to a few bad ones, I, I must admit. <laughs> um, virtual exhibitions are probably not necessarily anything really new. Um, well, at least not for the last decade, at least. I can remember 10, 12 years ago, um, really experiencing one of one of the very very first virtual exhibitions in its in its infancy, and you know the technology then did its best, and, and it's actually caught up a little bit. But a virtual exhibition, well, what, what's an exhibition? It's it's the engagement of two people or two businesses, um, you know, talking about what they can do for each other, right? So. Now we see virtual exhibitions in a, in a number of different forms. There is the, what I would class as the experience, the, the kind of the, the computer game style, walking around um, a 3D model, whether that be on your laptop or your phone or, or God forbid, a, a VR headset. Not that I'd wanted to personally do that. And it's a way for an attendee to try and experience what a face-to-face event is as, as live as possible. But going on from that, um, there are a number of platforms out there that are actually focusing actually more on the real value of exhibitions. So Hopin are doing a great example of that with, with their platform, where the predominantly of the, the driver of the audience is the content. But then exhibitors have a really sophisticated exhibitor profile um, with the ability for those visitors to arrange meetings and connect to them like we are now, Nicola, with a, with a video call. Um, Grip Umbrella or two other platforms that are doing very much the same. They're not focusing on the content, although you can watch the content in their systems. They are focusing on connecting people up who have a interest together, whether that be I need your product, I need your service, or I can supply you, and facilitating the, the the meeting side of things. Um, and again, that's not, not nothing new, really, is it? You know, we've connected through virtual platforms like Zoom or. Hangouts or Skype for, for, for over a decade now to do business internationally where travel, et cetera, just doesn't make sense. So the, what those existing platforms that facilitated um, the existing exhibition market have kind of hybridised themselves to now facilitate um, the important part of the exhibition, which is the, the meeting of the minds and the, the business relationships.
1: And in the current challenges that we're facing, have you seen any events that would have been face-to-face that have actually taken the decision to move online is that happening yet
0: it's, it is actually happening and um, we just published a case study yesterday with um, ITB in Berlin and um, they were one of the first to be affected by the um, uh, suppression of events going ahead so no events over 100 people and they've really successfully still leveraged their speakers the content the audience that they have built up over I don't know how long that event's been going over 15 years I think it is Um, and what they've done is rather than miss the opportunity of those people not to do business or not to connect up and speak till 2021 um, if we can come back as that that soon um, they've used technology and exhibition technology and matchmaking technology to still make that happen Um, so if anybody's listening to this and wants to find that information on it is available on Event News, how they did that Um, and the results of that. And the results are are really positive. So, you know, when we look at the economic impact of exhibitions, exhibitions provide so much um, business value both to local areas but also to the whole um, string of business within that sector that a year missed of some of these large major events or even smaller-scale events can can mean huge losses for businesses or or gaps in the market. So it's good to see organisers are adapting and leveraging that technology. And at least providing some way of those people still connecting around the event and around that that theme of, of content and, and speakers and exhibitors.
1: And it's interesting to so hear you talk about the kind of value that the organizers can bring because there's almost a temptation that if you're an organizer of a show and your show's being postponed and you want to keep in touch with exhibitors, all of your content with them over the next three, six months is going to be geared around getting ready for the show and you know, just pushing your show, and that's what's going to be important to you. But actually there's some quite smart organisers out there who are saying, well, how do we build the community? How do we put them in touch with each other? How do we create some value and add some, I don't know, masterclasses around government funding and how you keep going? So is is there a slightly different agenda for the content you'd maybe share as an organiser virtually over the next few months than than you would do if it was just a normal advertising or marketing campaign headed into a show?
0: Yeah, I suppose. So if we look at how traditional exhibitions are organised, they're organised to do... Lots in a very short period of time, right? Um, you know, two, three days if you're lucky for some of the for some of the big stuff. What the technology is actually opening up the ability to do is not only spread that content over a longer period, but open up the opportunities for those people to connect and meet and do networking over a longer period. I don't think it will be uncommon for us to see coming out of COVID. A hybridised solution where, as an exhibitor with that audience, you can start connecting up um, and doing meetings with those uh, participants. Maybe even as much as a week out and possibly a week after the the face to face event. You know, I don't think they're going to replace those face to face events. Um, and in the interim, you know, trying to capture somebody's own attention for for two days virtually and and have them sat there in front of the laptop for for eight hours a day it's unrealistic Um where we've got our normal day-to-day business to do. We aren't in an, a, an environment, which means our attention is focused because we're there in person. And we also have social media and phone and other people, you know, just, just general stuff going off. And especially when we're working from home now, you know, I've got a little one in the background who just might need my attention. So I'm not going to, not going to ignore him, no matter what, how great the keynote is or, or meeting <laughs> is. So, you know, I think even in the short term, we'll see organisers go, okay, so this is this is our event over two days. How do we spread that out ever so slightly to give people more opportunity to engage? Can we turn a two-day exhibition and an event as a face-to-face into a week-long's worth of activity and maybe have the keynote on a Monday evening to kick things off with a bit of network? And then Tuesday, we do some business stuff. Wednesday maybe that's the exhibition side of things connect up with your exhibitors do your meetings your matchmaking Thursday could be follow-up Friday let's do something fun um you know it's I I think that's one of the main areas that organizers are trying to wrap their head around now it's not so much the technology the technology is there um the technology like Zoom that we're using now is is solid it just takes a little bit of kind of getting used to and how you deliver content through that especially from the speaker side of things um but you are know, there's teams and people and professionals in place that can take care of that when it comes to the matchmaking the exhibitor face-to-face side there's technology that can take care of that I think what we need to do as organizers and and as exhibitors is just wrap our head around a slightly changing format and that will become more apparent as people get more used to doing it it's it's like when you there's a new social media app right it's like TikTok TikTok is the big thing with the youngsters I'm just trying to grab my head around it just so I understand it and it takes you a week to kind of get used to how things work and I think that's what we're seeing from from this side of things I think we're seeing an adaption in how we think about an event and an exhibition both from how long it is content and how we engage with it as as exhibitors, attendees, and, and how we program it as organizers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um I, I know you'll want to be totally impartial as an editor, so I'm not asking you to choose one above the other, but just throw out a couple of names of, of platforms if organizers are thinking, yeah, I want to do something, but maybe don't even know where to start looking. Where can they go to find those some, some of those platforms?
0: Okay, so there there is a list on my LinkedIn profile. It's a pinned article. Um, on my profile which anybody can access and there's a list there of, of, of companies to research and I'll be honest with you it's, it's growing every single day because technology providers within the events industry it's not taking them much of a leap to transfer over to offering a virtual solution especially when they've got websites and registration and all that kind of stuff that organizers need um, to, to, to make an event happen to to, to offer this bit you know, the virtualization of content and, and matchmaking, it's it's not a great leap. So there's there's more coming out every day. I would really look at what type of organizer you are and what type of event you want to deliver and and choose the solution that works best for that. I'll be honest with you. Zoom for delivering content is is fantastic. It's it's really cost effective. It doesn't take too much to set up. It's extremely stable. Um and they've got huge support and infrastructure in place. So for not a lot of money, as an organizer, um, or, or even as an exhibitor, if you want to do use it to do meetings, it's, it's a great platform. If you want something more sophisticated on the content side, then hop in, um, Gliss Live, um, Hay Summit, um, Workcast, iVent, which is a as a is a what's an all solution. It's like literally got everything that you could ever imagine that you would ever want um they're they're all great solutions if you want something that's focused on doing business then grip umbrella um, fanamina um, network tables they're, they're all great solutions out there the, the list is huge to be honest with you, it's kind of like social media platforms we think of like four core ones don't we but that's actually like 300 or something um it, it really depends on what you're trying to trying to do um so so, if I was trying to give advice to people listening to this that thinking, "Can I do this myself can i can I use technology to leverage my own and deliver my own event?" I would list down what you are trying to achieve and find functionality that matches all of that, and then double check in on support because support's one of those things that lots of people need, um, especially when it's something new. test the support, test how quick they are to respond. What can they offer? Can you buy into that support? Um, because that's one thing that you know these companies can't necessarily provide for free—is somebody at the other end of the phone just to respond. They're not Amazon, yeah. So it really, it really boils down to what you're trying to achieve. Find the technology that matches your objectives, and also just check in that there is a company that can support you if you need to, and if you can buy into that, because there's nothing. There's nothing worse than doing something new and not feeling like there's somebody that you can ring or he's just there to, you know, switch it off and switch it back on again if the mic doesn't work <laughs> kind of scenario. Um, so that, that, that's, you know, test that these guys are all happy to do demos for nothing. Um, from the exhibit, exhi- exhibitor side, um, I would say this, right? There's There's lots of pessimism around engaging with people in this way and can i actually do business in this way and it, and it, to me it's, it's a little bit ludicrous because the opportunities for a virtual event are, are much the organizer setting that up for you right and as as all these companies will have they'll have sales team and marketing teams and they, it's not much different to doing a, a virtual zoom call or a virtual meeting or, or even picking up the phone really mm. apart from the fact that you can see that other person so if you're a company thinking this is just not going to provide me the same value. It's actually a more cost effective way to participate in an event than actually sometimes exhibiting. Don't get me wrong, the the, the overriding value of being there as an exhibitor and having your products on show and having that face-to-face opportunity, the value on that is massive. But just because it's virtual doesn't mean that all of a sudden the value is not there. You know, the the technology can take care of that and the opportunities are there to still connect up with those, those key prospects and and customers and, and do business.
1: And so we're certainly not short of providers in any way from what you're saying there, which is, is brilliant. There's loads of people out there to help. And, and the one thing I kind of picked up from there is just make sure if you need the support, you pick a provider that's got plenty of support to offer you. But you did talk, uh, you just mentioned about having, you know, making sure your mic works and that kind of stuff. So if an exhibitor's sitting there and thinking, I want to do something virtually, but I've got like a really old laptop, I have no kit. Where do I start? What kit do you need to do something like, I don't know, a webinar or a a Zoom video conference? Do you need really technical stuff?
0: Not not really at all. Um, My advice is, and and this goes for exhibitors as well, even they're not the one that's going to be speaking or casting or anything like that, audio is probably more important than video for a start. Um, There's nothing worse than listening to a crackly radio, right? It's like it gets on your wick um so but people can deal with a bit of a grainy image because most of the time they're not focused on the actual literally looking at the person anyway but audio is one of those things it's like when you've got a bad line connection on the phone you, you kind of hang up don't you and, and try again and keep trying until you get that clear line so my advice would be to invest in audio first ditch the airpods ditch the ditch the plug-in plug-in headphones the crap um pick up a pick up a a mic from a USB mic or a USB-C mic from Amazon um, for 50 quid. And honestly, that 50 pound investment, if you're a speaker, not only will elevate your session massively, but even as that person that's engaging with your potential prospects and customers, it's, it's absolutely a worthwhile investment. And most people wouldn't even think twice about spending 50 quid on some lunch and beers to, for yeah. a prospect, right? <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Um, you know, you, In camera wise, um, Logitech do a really good um, series that are not very cheap, uh, not very, sorry, not very expensive. Um, And that's, again, an external mic that you can plug in to whatever device you're using. So it doesn't even necessarily need to work on a a laptop. You could use an iPad or even an iPhone to connect up and do the actual meeting. And what that camera does, it, it streams in 720 or 1080p, so the, the, the image is much clearer, the lighting's a lot, a lot better. And you can also position it wherever you want, so that gives you a lot more flexibility about how you stood, sit, standing. Um, one of my real bugbears is people who do meetings on laptops and the camera's pointed at the chin. It's just like, I don't want to see your chin, do you know what I mean? There's nothing, there's nothing great about your chin. So lift, the, even if you got to use a laptop, and you're just using your mic, and you just want to use a laptop webcam. Lift your bloody laptop up so it's head high, and it's actually pointing at your face, kind of scenario. So yeah, I think you know anywhere from fifty quid just for the mic up to maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty quid for a mic and a camera, and, and you're pretty much you pretty much you're pretty much set. Um, other than a than a good internet connection, which is obviously based on what you can get in your area and and, and at home and all that kind of stuff then for not not much money, you can really increase the production value um, and the quality of what that other person at the other end is going to hear and see. Um, so it's it's not very expensive at all.
1: It's such great advice, and I was chuckling during um, Adam speaking there as I was desperately looking at, at my screen thinking, ah, oh, because all he can see is my chin, I'm going to get into so much trouble. But actually, he has got the the full-on face this morning so apologies for that I'm sure it's not what you want to be looking at in the morning but, but you at least didn't just get Richard. so um you mentioned uh, right at the start of the, the conversation about you've been to some bad exhibitions online or bad virtual events and without naming and shaming I'm not asking for the names of those but what was it that made them not a great experience for you what are the sorts of things that people might want to avoid
0: yeah so probably a couple of things preparedness from the organizer um there is nothing worse than waiting, staring at a screen with nothing happening. Um, so, you know, and, and I've seen it before where I've been in a, in a room ready, waiting to go, and in less than 10 minutes, people are kicking off. You know, wasting 10 minutes, dropping out, you're losing audience, you're losing engagement. So um, one of my top tips there, if you are an organizer and you're looking at doing any of this, bring your networking before the session because there's always people that turn up early. There's always the, the, the eager, anna. Um, I'm one of those people that's that's ready to raring to go 15 minutes before the actual thing's starting right so bring the networking forward and then whoever just keeps dropping in can can kind of speak and chat and, and all that kind of stuff and zoom can do that that's that's not a problem um so that's that's one thing audio and video quality is another you know again if you're an organizer and you're delivering content and you're delivering that content you are Again it doesn't take much to make an interesting background with a bit of print or, or just you know positioning some flowers and a picture and all that kind of stuff. make sure your lightings okay you know lighting up of the speaker doesn't cost a lot of mo- a lot a lot. I would always suggest if you are delivering content as an organizer, everybody stands up, nobody sat down because that you know opens up the chest, puts the shoulders back, people speak more confidently, they feel more comfortable than being being sat down and kind of twiddling in the chair and all that kind of stuff um and and invest in microphones and videos and and make sure make sure that's good and have that backup do all the tests and all that kind of stuff that makes you really confident that when you do go live also just you know just just invest in in the communication with your audience about how they join and how they get on to those sessions and the exhibitor experience the likelihood is for 90 percent of those people coming on it's going to be a brand new experience to them they're not going to use the platform before they're not necessarily going to be they don't know what to expect so spend the time even do short videos or something like that explaining how they get on what they can expect the format keeping regular contact with them so so that's the kind of stuff that I've seen in the past is is just thinking oh we we can just throw this together and, and you know it's online so people expect it to be a bit rough around the edges that that to me is mental why would you do that when you would never expect the life's face-to-face experience to be, to be that way. So I just think about even fun things to, to keep people engaged. You know, people need toilet breaks and coffee breaks and, mm. you know, do things in between. So, so those people that are still engaged do like a magic trick or card tricks or that kind of stuff. Um, one nice thing I think organisers can do is think about the fact that when their audience is remote, um, especially around conferences and, and B2B conferences, one of the things that somebody would generally do is sponsor things like beers, networking drinks, or or the lunch and things like that, right? Um, opportunity for that sponsor to get some brand recognition and some engagement and, and, and you know, who's not going to want a free lunch. That st- that stuff can still be done virtually. You know, it, I could buy you, Nicola, now a Deliveroo or Uber Eats code if you can get it in your area. I could send that in a nice sponsored personalized email saying Nicola, great to see you at VR live. Here's, here's lunch on me, order whatever you want. Do us a tweet of your photo of what we got. Yeah. Super engagement. Right. Yeah. And the same with beers, you know, everybody loves, loves the end of the exhibition day beers, especially the exibi- exhibit exhibit drinks, right. Great networking opportunity. Somebody could sponsor the beers and have a little pack of beers or again, something sent to that person's house and home. So when that networking hour happens, They've got the beer there. It's it's not it's not something that they've got to go and then find and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's lots of things that can make an a, an online event engaging and and still feel like part they're part of it and a bit more than just dialing in.
1: I love that advice. I think it's absolutely brilliant because. Um... We work with exhibitors all the time and quite often we talk about those hard sell hanks and exhibitors just being so enthusiastic when they're at a show that they just talk about their proposition, they just talk about what they've got to sell and don't really get to know who the visitor is and it's all very one way and I think the temptation for some exhibitors might be rubbing their hands thinking, yeah, I've got an hour to just talk about us virtually, you know, nobody can interrupt me, nobody can stop me, I can just talk about how amazing we are and actually it's like, no, you've got to think about how you take that engagement from the show floor to a virtual world. You you can't just push and talk at people for an hour because that's not what they're there for.
0: Yeah, and here's another piece of advice, another great way for any company out there that ever does swag on their stands, right? That they do the t-shirts, the sunglasses, the mugs, all all that kind of great stuff that, you know, people love, people, people, I've got, I've got, the wife hates it, but I've got loads of mugs and stuff that I brought (laughs) back from exhibitions. there is an actual company that I will mention that's that's just launched something called YR Store. Um, and YR Store are a brand merchandise specialist, a live engagement specialist for companies like Google, um, with their Android at Mobile World Congress, um, lots of other brands that we all we all love and know. Um, and what they have done is they've hybridized and virtualized their um personalized swag offerings so a company that would usually do something at exhibition can actually have this as part of a virtual event and their their customers prospects or the people that are engaging with their content can actually go on and personalize their own t-shirts so it's unique to them only available as that part of that event the the sponsor or the company can actually upload assets that, that represents their company or their brand ethos and all that kind of stuff so it's relevant to it. And then what that company will do is once that audience has decided what they have and as their basket, they will actually print it and ship it anywhere in the world to that customer. So, you know, I'm not saying that's going to be cheap. Um, I actually don't know the pricing of it. Um, I, I think it's probably very in line with what you would pay for a physical event apart from obviously the added shipping costs. But if you're a customer who does that already at a face-to-face event, there's absolutely the technology to wrap around as part of a virtual event to still get an engagement and to still have that nice little touch and for that audience member or that attendee prospect, et cetera, to still get something very personal to them as part of that experience that they can't get anywhere else.
1: Yeah, and it is exactly that word experience. It's how do you move the experience online, not just the you know the presentation of this is what we do. It's about that engagement and those touch points and um, one thing I just wanted to pick up on, um, and I will let you go so I could sit and talk about this all day. I'm so sorry, I'm conscious <laughs> you too. are so, so <laughs> busy. Um, just from an exhibitor perspective, I think they're probably, exhibitors in general might be um, less familiar with some of the platforms out there and how to kind of start digitally engaging. Um, and the obvious default is we'll just do a Zoom webinar presentation, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. just getting mm-hmm. creative. what If a, an exhibitor was planning on launching a new product, at a show that was going to be over the spring summer season and now can't do that. What are some ways they could do that creatively online now? What have you seen anything that's that's caught your eye or what the formats are out there for them to use?
0: Yeah, I think I think I think the way that I my, my advice would be would would be to do and break it down, um, break that launch down uh, as part of a longer campaign. So I'm always a big fan of things being teased, right? So so the information is just not there and it's there for me to, to to kind of digest and I get all that information in like five minutes and I'm done, all right, okay. I like things being kind of like just drip fed out. So um, I'll give an example of something we've done recently with an awards that we've done. We we set up social accounts for that specific launch. Um, We had graphics and things designed and then we started to post and drip feed things out up to the launch of it. We also tactically kind of engaged with, you know, prospects and things like that, where we would follow them and and, and tweet at them and do bits and bobs just to kind of get their attention and go, okay, what's this thing? Because there's not much information about it. So what other option have you got than to follow it to figure it out, right, um, and that just led up to a a launch which involved a actual well, a video recording from me personally to my audience about what we were launching and why, and I think that's a great way because not only does it gain people 's interest of to everybody's inquisitive right curiosity killed the cat um, so so there's already lots of free tools and social media tools and all that kind of stuff that you can set up you know, you could even a domain name just for that particular product launch and, and, and stick a website up through Wix or something like that it doesn't cost a lot of money. You can then, you know, retarget those customers using PPC and all that kind of stuff to make it, you know, really engaging for them or, or target them after the launch to, to buy or inquire about the product. Um, and I think that's a great way. And then, and then the video side of things, that personal touch from somebody within the company just gives you that face-to-face point of it which then i would lead on to we're going to do a 15 minute overview and answer any questions about this product kind of scenario and i think that's the other thing as well when it comes to doing product launches or you know this bit the the face-to-face bit through a zoom don't speak for an hour you know you don't have an hour with people generally at exhibition trade show you're lucky if you have five minutes but what you spend do spend a lot of time doing is you spend a lot of time answering questions, right? So I would think about the content in a way that you do a very short, sharp overview of your launch, what it is, why you're doing it, how it fits in with the rest of the business, what, what benefits it offers the, the people that you're talking to, and then open up this to Q&A. Maybe even start taking questions before you do this. I I do that a lot with my face-to-face events. I use tools and surveys form the people that are registering for it to say listen we want you to answer we want to answer your question so if you've got a really yeah. cool question submit it and then you've got a bank of questions ready to go rather than that kind of awkward like has anybody got any questions <laughs> um and I would do that focus on you know short presentation focused on more on the questions and answers for your prospects and all the objection handling will take care of itself and you'll probably sell a load out of it at the back end of it practically yeah.
1: absolutely and I think there's a point there just as well about the kind of sensitivity of the time we're in and really think about your audience. So, for example, you know, some of the um, convenience and retail trade shows at the moment where some of the food brands might have had a really big launch and wanted to talk to, to retailers about that launch. Well, right now, retailers are just trying to get stuff on shelves. They're trying to keep their customers safe. They're trying mm-hmm. to keep their staff safe. So you kind of bowling in there with a here's this great new product we've got coming out ready for Christmas is probably not what they want to hear. But a 30-second video they can watch on their phone from their MD or UK manager just saying, you guys are doing a great job. Thanks ever so much for everything. Um, We're trying to keep you stocked as much as we can. will mean far more. So I think at the moment as well, it's that kind of sensitivity around where is your audience likely to be in that kind of COVID challenge? And is it appropriate for you to be? Because I think everybody suddenly wants to jump on the virtual bandwagon and go, yeah, we're going to do something. We're going to do something. And it's like, actually, is it appropriate right now? Are your audience going to be interested in... Is it relevant for what, where they, they are with their business at the time?
0: Yeah, one of the, one of the other great things to probably drive engagement around that online event is provide them with access to information before everybody else. So maybe even give them a slight competitive advantage over their competitors yeah. with your product by saying, listen, we are going to give you a report, stats, information. We're going to give you the brochure. part of this event you have to sign up to it to access it and it'll be you know solely for those participants for the next 14 days um and and that is probably enough to drive people well if i can only get this this way i'm going to sign up yeah and then you've got the opportunity to remind them to attend or send them the recording and all that kind of stuff yeah um so just just think about how you would you know drip feed and 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 lead cap those people um in the face defense or uh, in, a, in a normal digital marketing way and just apply those same rules to, to to virtual events
1: there's so much in the last sort of half hour however long we've been chatting it might have been three hours for all i know it seems to have flown by in five minutes but um but there's so much advice and information there which i think will really really help people And i think it might be something we come back to in a couple of months and kind of see how people have what the response has been what's been good what we've learned from it so um yeah thank you so much for your time i'm conscious how busy you are so i don't i don't want to take up too much of your time so thank you but one question we're asking all podcast guests at the moment so this might be putting you on okay. the spot a little bit and um, what's keeping you occupied during lockdown what are you reading what are you watching what you're listening to what should our listeners also be doing
0: oh i'm gonna i'm gonna sound really boring um <laughs> my little boy he really is um you know I'm I'm lucky that I work from home so I get to spend a lot of time with him anyway but um I'm just using this extra bit of time um while things are quiet and I've not got friends and family inviting for my attention and things like that as well I'm just spending a bit more time with him um he's only young he's eight months now so you know he's not going to stay that small forever and and that's what I'm doing it's just you know we are we very rarely get you know family time do we? you know it's the kind of always the last people that get our attention um so I think while people are a little bit quiet is is just just find ways to spend more time with your family even if they're not around just you know zoom them do a do a house party do like virtual beers with them whatever it is that that for me is making the lockdown bearable because my attention's kind of there and I feel like it's a fruitful exercise rather than just watching three seasons of something on Netflix
1: yeah absolutely I, and I love hearing that it's that kind of you know we've been talking for however long about engagement and it's about that engagement and really being able to to be there with your family so
0: yeah so. although I must admit I have just ordered a 4,000 piece jigsaw so that might keep my attention for a bit <laughs>
1: have you got a table big enough to do that on
0: I actually don't know I'll put it on the floor yeah
1: <laughs> I hope you've got a big room. So and yeah. we need photographs of that on social media when you've done it. So. Will do. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time. Adam, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, they can find you at uh, Event Industry News or on LinkedIn, I'm guessing.
0: That's right. Adam Parry on LinkedIn, eventindustrynews.com or on Twitter. I am at Punch Town Perry.
1: Punch Town, Perry. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. And um, good luck with everything over the coming weeks. And no doubt we'll speak to you again soon. No, thanks for having me. Thank you. So massive thanks there to Adam for coming back and chatting to us about virtual events. Since that conversation, I've been in and picked up and had a look at a couple of the platforms and the providers that Adam was suggesting. And there is some fantastic uh, programs out there and suppliers that are doing some brilliant stuff that isn't just another webinar. Um, so we'd really encourage you guys, if you're thinking about wanting to do some, something different over the coming months with your content and do something a little bit edgy then get in touch with those guys or get in touch with us and we'll definitely help you because we're keen to get some case studies together of where you guys have been using this and how it's worked out for you. So do let us know any of your success stories. As usual, you can get in touch with us in the normal ways through the website. We'll still be posting blogs, and we are doing some blogs and content on behalf of the Department for International Trade over the coming weeks, so just check out your local regional websites to see what we're doing for them that should help you with some information and advice over the coming weeks. You can subscribe to the newsletter there as well, where we will also keep you up to date on everything that we're doing. Uh, As I mentioned, the Exhibitionist book and journal is available via the website. And don't forget, we donate to the National Literacy Trust for every um, copy that we sell via the website. So moving on to the next edition of the Exhibitionist podcast. That will be coming out to you hopefully next uh, Tuesday. And we're going to be speaking to Laura Catalabra, who is the founder of Stress Matters. And as I mentioned in last week's podcast, Stress Matters have set up an events-dedicated helpline for mental health first aid um, so if you're in the events industry and feeling like you're struggling and feeling that you're you're um, having some of those symptoms of anxiety and stress, then Laura's going to be talking about what stress matters are doing to help with that, but also what you can do to help yourself and help each other. On which point, coffee and a chat really, really helps at the moment. So anybody who's struggling, please don't be alone. Please just give us a ring. We will talk to anybody in the industry. If you just fancy a Zoom and a coffee or a Zoom and a beer, let's talk, let's Try and help reassure each other that we can get through this. They are difficult and challenging times, but we're absolutely all in it together. If we can do anything to help, please give us a shout. Please keep safe. Please stay home over the next few weeks, wherever you are in the world. And we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Happy exhibitioning.
0: Hop over now to inspiringexhibitors.com to subscribe to our newsletters, blogs and future podcasts, keeping you up to date with industry insight. While there, you can also find out more about The Exhibitionist, inspiring trade show excellence. Once again, thank you for listening.